0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the After Film School Club podcast. Although I uh, I actually should hesitate to say that actually because this is the first episode that we've recorded where we've officially gone under that name. So I should just play and say, welcome to the After Film School Club podcast. I'm Simon Ramshaw, your host, and with me tonight, providing great discussion and support as always, is my friend and colleague, Jack Keating. How are you, Jack? I'm very well, thanks, Simon. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much. And contributing to our podcast as our podcast producer as well is Maria Caruana Galizia. How are you, Maria?
1: Hello, Simon. Merry Christmas. And
0: (laughs) happy new year, (laughs) but we'll get there eventually. Fantastic. Yeah, it is a Merry Christmas. The day of recording today is the 22nd of December 2021. Christmas is nearly here. And despite the world being yet in a worsening state day by day, are you both feeling festive? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all had hard days all around, and, well, you two have. I've been, I've, uh, I've but...
1: actually managed to put up a Christmas tree this year. So oh,
0: wow, that's pretty I good. I feel like
1: that is progress, um, and that's very festive.
0: Did you not put one up last year?
1: Uh, not until, like, really late, and it was half a Christmas tree because we had a new puppy. <laughs>
0: oh (laughs) of course that makes a lot of sense (laughs) but yeah this episode is just going to be a 2021 in review episode both cinematically and personally a little bit of that too so i guess i'll just start off by saying is there any creative highlights in our own kind of personal spaces that we're all very proud of we'll start with you maria
1: I think one of the creative highlights for me this year was going to the Torino Script Lab. Mm-hmm. I really encourage writers to apply. It's very competitive because they don't pick a lot of projects and they get applications, like hundreds worldwide. But it's such a great program. It's a very welcoming team. And um, the sort of final event that they have in Turin, I was so grateful that I managed to go, just as COVID travel rules were, were changing. And everyone was going into lockdown. Yeah, so I managed to go. And it was such a brilliant week and really inspiring and motivating. So I think that was a really good way to end the year. And again, like a really great program to motivate you to go into the next year and finish writing the script.
0: So what exactly happens there? Is it just you bring a pitch with you and they develop it from that point?
1: You apply to one of their programs. So we applied to Script Lab. And we got in and it's um, a series of workshops throughout the year. And as you have a mentor, but you also get sort of uh, peer-to-peer feedback. So you all read each other's scripts and give feedback and deliver drafts of the scripts. And then at the very end, you have a week of meetings and you pitch to potential investors or sales agents or co-producers. And it's a really, just a really great experience. It's really nice. Uh, And the people that run it are really great as well. So I highly recommend it
0: lovely and was it good weather over there
1: it was lovely yeah it was cool but like blue skies that counts for a lot yeah
0: (laughs) what about you jack what have you been very proud of this year
2: well i got to go to a few really cool film festivals at the beginning of this year Mm -hmm. uh london short film festival slam dance which we did some very good podcasts which i'm very happy about superb a superb superb stuff. there's also been some other podcasts that i've been very proud of being a part of uh, like our <laughs> interview with Guy Hendrix-Diaz. I thought that yeah. was Holds amazing. up. Holds up the scrutiny. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs>
2: and even better
0: now as well, because he gave us a little bit of scoop ahead of time on Spencer, the Kristen Stewart starring Princess Diana Quasi-Biopic, which I still haven't seen yet, unfortunately. But I'm uh, Well, I'll talk about it much
2: later. Ooh, exciting times. <laughs> um. What else, oh well, I started a, a writing partnership with uh, our very own Simon Ramshaw.
0: Whom,
1: wow, Whom? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's been nice. We've we've uh bashed out a few shorts, yeah, which is and, which is good. Uh, Gonna try and maybe get really one well. of them made next year, perhaps. I mean, that would be
2: great, yeah, if we're lucky.
0: <laughs> if we are lucky, yes, so keep keep posted on that, I guess. But you've also directed, never mind any writing, you know, you've done mm-hmm. your own
2: directorial debut. I did a music video for my friend Connor under the pseudonym uh, Hell I See. A rap music video, horror uh, themed, found footage horror themed. It was very fun, very DIY, <laughs> very scrappy, but in the best sort of way. And yeah, it just gave me a chance to direct for the first time, which I, well, I loved it. Look, <laughs> so, is it on YouTube? It is, yeah.
0: We might be able to get a link to that out then.
2: Yes, we should. It's uh, Hell I See. The song is called Alone. So Keep an eye out for that. (laughs) I know. Awesome. Nice.
1: How about yourself, Simon? What are your creative highlights?
0: Probably everything that Jack just said, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad he did most of the talking on that one. Um, (laughs) No, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, just developing this podcast has been really, really fun. You know, I mean... Thankfully, through you, Maria, we've managed to get in touch with some really interesting people, and uh, and long may that continue. I think we've got a good little body of work going so far. So, if you haven't listened to past episodes, they are all available now for free on all your good podcasting apps. So we're based on Anchor, but they distribute it to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, if you're looking for any insight on lots of different creative departments. Or you just want to hear some reviews, or just some light-hearted banter? You can go back and listen to the bunch for free now. So yeah, I guess that's that's been the highlight, <laughs> but but that's about it really. Twenty twenty two might be better. Who knows? <laughs> Even
2: better, you mean? Even better. Even Excuse best. me. Even Excuse better. Me. Thank me. you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but you know, twenty twenty one was admittedly a bit of a weird year because we started off in lockdown hopefully next year won't be the same and it was a while before cinemas actually opened up again that was great for me initially because i did get through a lot at the beginning of the year but i did miss the cinema an awful lot Mm. so my question for you guys is what was your first trip back to the cinema
1: i took the gang uh, from candle and bell to go and see the Conjuring 3 the devil made me do it. Oh, nice. That was a good a good good film to return to the cinema with. <laughs> Loved it, enjoyed it a lot.
2: Good old fashioned spooky fun.
1: Yeah, and I I really like the Conjuring series cuz uh they're, they're really well-made films even if you don't think of them as, you know, highbrow artsy kind of horror. They still are good horror. They still have all the right scares. Uh, you know everyone screams when they're meant to and (laughs) you get grossed out when you're meant to Um, I work with a filmmaker called Lucy Rose who is sometimes featured on this podcast and she thinks of them as comfort films I'm not quite there yet (laughs) I still find them unsettling but I do enjoy them Mm. I think they're good films and that was a really good film to return to the cinema with
0: to be honest I know what Lucy means because I'm about to talk about a James Wan film later on that is constituted as a great comfort film for me this year even though on paper it should be the exact opposite of that but i but i do love it very very much so yeah i i've blasphemously uh only seen the first conjuring um but i've heard the second one kind of doubles down on everything that's good about the first and then the yeah, third yeah. one's kind of just a weird mix between everything that you've seen before and a courtroom drama is that correct
1: yeah but it <laughs> nice. delivers it delivers
0: yeah all right cool It's a nice little blend. How about you, Jack?
2: My first trip back was Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was brilliant. And I'll talk about that more later as well. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) But but, um, I mean, I was a bit out of practice uh, going back to the cinema. I missed the opening two minutes because I overestimated how long the adverts might be because it had been that long. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Um, yeah. I think the goalposts have changed a little bit.
2: Yeah, it it was definitely shorter for that one at least.
0: Yeah, I did get stung with Dune actually, but I think that was a just a projection issue more than anything else because uh, it was opening day. I came in one minute later after the allotted time, oh, uh, and the film was already like three, four minutes in. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, the prologue's pretty cool as well. It is. I've I've went back and watched it again since. So <laughs> But thankfully I knew kind of what the universe was all about, so I wasn't too confused. But yeah, if mm-hmm. if you weren't, that could have been a an absolute disaster, to be honest. Absolutely. What
2: was your first one back, Simon?
0: Spiral from the book of oh, yeah. yes. yeah, Saw.
2: Yes. Yeah, I don't really have anything, anything good to say about that. No. Exactly. No. I had a whale of a time watching it, my goodness. <laughs> it's hilarious i watched it last
0: week that's very funny not in not in the right way at all because i know a lot of it is just chris rock doing his stand-up shtick you know and then we're introduced to his character in the middle of some sort of hot take on forrest gump or something yeah was was, was that what it was
2: (laughs) yes yeah
0: it's like chris rock's trying to workshop new material at the beginning of a Saw movie.
2: And it basically carries on like that for a long time. There's <laughs> that weird bit about wives always cheating on you or something. Yeah. Before they find a dead body. And I was like, this doesn't feel like Saw, like <laughs> whatsoever. I want jilted, awful dialogue. That's so <laughs> self-serious. That's what I want from a Saw movie. Not we do get terrible. a bit of that as well. Oh yeah, we do get a bit of
0: that, but not you get the traps and whatnot, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, what a weird mishmash. It was 90 minutes, though, so I wasn't complaining. In and out of, a, of an infected cinema pretty quick. <laughs> One thing I've actually yeah. noticed is that like movies are just getting longer and longer and longer. The amount of two-and-a-half-hour movies I've seen in the past two months is just like absolutely insane. Can we yeah. not please, please just cut them down a tad? That I felt would like nice. that
1: about James Bond's... I felt I was like about to mention yeah,
2: that. you could at yeah. least shave about twenty minutes off that at Life. least. That being said, James Bond was the first time I felt like I've been back to the cinema quite a few times mm-hmm. before James Bond. That was the first time I went back and I was like, ah, this feels like the first blockbuster. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Like the first feeling when you're like the room is a little bit like electric. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. With anticipation, that was quite nice.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I saw that in IMAX and I think that was the first IMAX film I'd seen. Goodness. Well yeah, it must be a couple of years. But uh yeah, it really did feel big. I mean we've had a lot of big movies where things are big on the screen, <laughs> like Dune, like Eternals, but I think that was the first time I'd felt a sense of proper scale in a long time. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely. And and I am glad in that respect that they didn't sell it to Amazon Prime or whatever. That was, you know, the rumour. Was that what they were gonna going to do? Around. Yeah, I think they were going to initially buy the franchise for, you know, however many billion. Um, but I'm glad that they kind of kept their cards close to their chest and didn't release a movie about a virus in the middle <laughs> of a... <laughs> or at the beginning of a pandemic sure yeah. so yeah. We we're still in
2: the middle of it but uh, <laughs> yeah. when it got into the film i was like oh i can see why they postponed this so quickly
1: see, <laughs> i thought i thought exactly the same thing and other people did not make that connection and i was really? like are we not are we not seeing that you know this yeah. thing going in blood and it's like can be injected yeah. and all this stuff Do, i'm really sure the producers must have made that connection one yeah. day yeah. i will ask them one day they will be on this podcast <gasps> and i will be like did on. you did you pull the movie because of COVID?
0: <laughs> and if their answer isn't yes, then we need to be worried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, on the small screen as well, we've had quite a, a wealth of good stuff. Uh, have you enjoyed any TV this year?
1: I think my favourite series was Midnight Mass.
0: Oh, Mike Flanagan. I haven't watched this yet because blasphemously ah. still
2: haven't finished Hill House. Not even Hill House. That's mad. Mm -hmm. I know.
1: I'm sorry. You're a bit behind on your horror TV shows. Yeah. Uh, I don't watch a lot of television, um, but I really enjoyed Midnight Mass. I I know that there are some a few problems with it, like there's just lots of lengthy monologues, and it just feels like, come on. Otherwise, no. I genuinely enjoyed it. It really creeped me out, which is you know what you want from. I've seen the first
2: three episodes and. Uh, see I had my problems with both Hill House and Bly Manor I liked Hill House more than Bly Manor because I feel like they all have a fair bit of monologues but for some reason the monologues so far in that I've seen out of Midnight Mass I think they've just they've really scratching an itch for me I don't know when it's about like religious themes and stuff I'm like oh just keep talking you know, <laughs> I like it when you talk that way, Mike. Yeah, come on, <laughs> go on, Mike. Give me more. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to actually seeing where it goes. At the moment, it's like there might be something flying around. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward forward to seeing where the. I TV found it went.
1: like I found it really satisfying. The ending. Again, other people did not, but I can't discuss it because neither of you have seen it. I'm oh, but... sorry.
0: Well, you've got to assume that the listeners haven't seen it either.
1: It's true. Uh, (laughs) I'm
0: I'm going to be very careful with spoilers on certain movies here. Cool. So, uh, yeah, we're going to try not to spoil much on this podcast, except if you didn't know that James Bond was about a virus. In which case, sorry, Sorry. (laughs) really sorry. (laughs) But it's not just about a virus. There are far worse things that you can spoil in that movie. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: It's about
2: family. It's about family. <laughs> nice. I didn't see any TV shows. Oh, I saw one TV show. That's all I right. To, I have to say, I'm far more into my films than the TV. But I watched Squid Game like every other person on the planet. I except haven't seen me.
1: Squid Game.
2: Oh, except us, apart from yeah. two people, I saw mm. it with everyone else on the planet. Uh, <laughs> it was good. It was <laughs> what it says on the tin, you know—quite on the nose social critique. But, like, I don't know, it's good fun at the same time. I didn't Mm -hmm. want it to be, like, overly deep. It wasn't trying to be overly deep. You know what I mean? The themes are very there for everyone to see what they are. Mixed on the ending, it almost felt like a little bit of a tacked-on ending to try and set up a season two. Mm. Um, I won't give anything away, but it's definitely worth a watch still. And worth a season two? No. No. It should have been a. I think it should have been a one season nice. I, I, I much prefer seasons uh, I much prefer TV when it does go on for like one season that's why I respect Mike Flanagan in a way like mm. he, he just he, it's a self-contained yeah. story it's got a beginning, middle and end it won't burn out, it's just like you know, a vision and that's mm-hmm. what yeah. it felt like Squid Game was going to be and then the end is just like oh, okay but I can't really say much more than that oh <laughs> damn, that's a shame
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I much prefer sort of mini-series rather than continuing like running series and you're like season 10, you're like oh no Exactly,
2: yeah unless it's always sunny in Philadelphia Yeah, which is on 15 now 15 and I want it to go forever I think it's going to go to 18 at least,
0: that's Gosh. what they're on IMDB Incredible. as at the moment <laughs> Incredible <laughs> Yeah actually season 15 of Sunny's going well so far I think they've uh, managed to claw it back after a lacklustre couple
2: of seasons previously, so Yeah. They had their moments the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. A few like really great episodes, but I have heard the new season is a return to form. Yeah, I mean it's it's attempting an arc now, you know? Like oh, so sort of
0: continuing episode really? arc again, not spoiling things, but most of these episodes connect together. In interesting ways. Not like in a Doctor Who flux sort of way. Right. Uh, which I kept catching bits of on Sunday evenings and going, I have no idea where I am right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's 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 going well. Going well. Two episodes left, I think, now. Yeah, it's a shorter season, isn't it? Yeah. Eight, I think. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Simon? Well, it's it's kind of ironic because my favourite season of television... This year is actually the 12th season of uh, a particular television series called On Cinema at the Cinema by uh, Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington. Now, for those that aren't familiar with On Cinema at the Cinema, it started off as a film review podcast parody um, made by Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington when they were filming a comedy, in quotation marks, called The Comedy. Um, It was basically them being personas of themselves talking about films without talking about films. So they didn't do any research, they didn't watch the films beforehand, and the joke was that they were just sort of talking around the film in as little depth as humanly possible. (laughs) This then turned into a web series, which uh, eventually got bought up by Adult Swim, I think from about the third season onwards. And from there the show developed into not just not being about movies, but being about these two clashing personalities who just want to get one over on one another and can't stand each other's presence at all, even though they keep going back to do this show for seemingly no reason. Any of them could walk (laughs) away at any point, but they just don't. Now On Cinema is on its 12th season plus six seasons of a parody action TV show called DECA, plus a five-hour-long real-time manslaughter trial. Um, (laughs) And now it's found a new home on its own subscription website called highnetwork.tv. And the fabric of this season of On Cinema is basically tied into the fact that it is on uh, this new website, which, you know, you do pay for, so you pay a yearly subscription for it. But in return, Tim Heidecker basically gives you worthless cryptocurrency called High Points.
1: <laughs>
0: Which you're sounds suppo- insane. It is. <laughs> Maria, like, I really want you to get hooked on this because it's just endless, self-sustaining, <laughs> dry, bone-dry comedy basically, right? Um, One of my favourite things in existence, and season 12 was absolutely fantastic, like, truly sad and haunting, and uh, you know, beautiful in lots of different ways. Also on High Network as well, you've got a bunch of highlights, uh, so pilots for TV shows, which will not get produced, uh, but (laughs) Tim Heidecker and co have basically just cooked them up and have connected them into the fabric of season 12. So, yeah, I'm not even going to begin to really describe what On Cinema is about, but that is my favourite season of television this year. I also really enjoyed Loki, I've got to say, though. In terms of mainstream television, I Oh, I, I see, great. I
1: gave up on that. Oh, really? Yeah, I kind of got a bit bored.
0: Oh, that's a shame. I thought it was, like, good Doctor Who. <laughs> or but it felt how very Doctor very Who Doctor used Who to, to be.
1: Me. It felt very Doctor Who to me, and I kind of, like, ugh, no.
0: Oh, you're not a fan of Doctor Who?
1: Don't don't tell anyone. Cut that out. <laughs> cut, cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Cut <laughs> that. <laughs> that's um
0: it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It is, podcast it is. reference. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Never mind. I mean, yeah. I've I've heard some uh, detractors on on Loki, to be honest. But I think in the in the glut of Marvel television that's been released this year. I think it's the standout for me because it, it builds into something rather than
2: deflating like pretty much all the rest of them do. Um Isn't there a little uh, Tarkovsky uh influence in there, I've heard? Tarkovsky influence? Really? Yeah. Uh the uh What's the place they enter in Stalker? The zone? The zone. Apparently the zone. there's like a uh there's a <laughs> There's a definite influence to that from that in there. That's all I've heard. I watched a video. Oh, by no, you're right. Maggie, yes. Maggie May Fish. She does a very, very long video uh, comparing Loki and Stalker, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant video essay. It's about an I hour and a half you long mean now. Yeah. Yes.
0: All right. I feel
1: like I'm going to have to watch it now.
2: Yeah. Check it's a it. Very... Also, check out the video essay. Um, by Maggie Mae Fish It's really great. It goes into all its themes and somehow there's a thematic connection between Stalker and Loki. Uh, you know what? I see it. Even yeah. though, you know,
0: the production of Loki was not at a radioactive power plant, thank goodness. Yeah. So nobody's going to get cancer and die from the production of Loki. Oh, thank God.
1: <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> Good job, everyone at this yeah, Yes, health and
0: safety slightly improved. <laughs> and so is green screen, as it turns out. <laughs> um, of course, we've also had some great short films this year. Have you had any faves other than the ones that we've discussed in depth on the podcast in other episodes?
2: <laughs> um, oh, see, most of the ones I am a fan of, we have discussed at length in yeah, other podcasts too. such as opera by erico mm-hmm. vertigo ai by chris peters who we interviewed as well and is an absolute sweetheart he's lovely one i don't know if we did talk about i don't know if it was in a festival or not did, was hungry joe was that in a did we talk yeah, about
1: that it? was london short film festival wasn't it? oh uh,
2: was it well that's also brilliant <laughs> i don't we, think we covered it on the
0: podcast though Ah. I think we did watch it, but I don't think it was one that we mentioned. But would you like to talk about Hungry Joe? Because I thought that was great too. I thought it was. I thought it, I thought
1: it was brilliant. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Really, really great. We inter. Well, I interviewed um Sam and Paul as well, and mm-hmm. there's an article with that on with them on above the line website. Um, but yeah, the film was fantastic. One of the best match cuts of the year. Um, yeah, because it's about a. Um,
0: a troubled child who just won't stop eating it seems like yes. a perpetual case of uh, ringworm <laughs> that uh, just goes uh, completely, or tapeworm. Sorry, what? Yeah, I, I was don't know. I, was the... like, ringworm. I haven't <laughs> had either, so I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what makes you eat more, but I I assume it's a tapeworm because <laughs> the tapeworm eats, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's... So, yeah. So basically, it's about a uh, mother and son and their troubled relationship after Joe, who is always hungry, hence <laughs> Hungry Joe, will not stop eating. And it's, that, it's a short film that covers like 20 years, maybe?
2: Yeah, yeah. No main feat. No. Really good allegory for tackling class issues as well. It's a big part of the story that she's a working class mother who can't afford all this food. So there's obviously moments where she's having to go to food banks and stuff like that. So very cleverly, it's basically a drama. As they said, I think they said it's like a drama with a horror like sprinkled in as seasoning. And mm. I, I like that because that is, mm-hmm. they succeed at that, I think. And um, we're getting a lot of those
0: now. But I think that was one that kind of stood out because it did tap into something that's very uh, relatable to the current moment. Yeah. Especially with, you know, families that have been split up and are in harder times during COVID or whatever. I know it wasn't about COVID, it was produced before that, but, you know, I think there's a lot that can be said about that in the in the current moment as well. Yeah, definitely. And do we talk about that match cut? I can't remember it specifically. Do you but, not re- oh. <laughs> What was it?
2: So uh, she's breastfeeding him when he's a baby.
0: And mm-hmm. the, oh yes <laughs> the and then it cuts, cuts to an egg, egg, egg
2: yolk egg yolk being
0: burst and it's gross <laughs> it's it's gruesome it's, <laughs> it's very very gruesome but incredibly evocative yeah so, absolutely. Uh, hats off to those guys <laughs> yeah definitely
1: what about uh, feature films it's the first podcast we spoke about what we were looking forward to so I'm curious to know what you guys thought were the best feature films
0: well year. None of mine were actually ones that I was, like, really looking forward to. I mean, a lot of mine that I mentioned were Nicolas Cage films. Um, <laughs> one of which I mentioned I saw and was terrible. Uh, another which Wonderland? I loved. Yeah, Willy's Wonderland. Just, mm. you know, casting Nicolas Cage as a, a mute badass is a very bad move because... He's the king of the bad one-liner. So why would you, <laughs> why would you reduce him to that? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Jack, do you want to start off before I sort of uh, give my top six? Because it is a top six. I've got an honourable mention as well. But uh, do you want to ease us in?
2: I've got, I've got a top five. Okay, so I'm not, that's all right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a little, little cheat. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't be cheating if, if
0: I hadn't just gotten out of, you know, my theoretical number six. So Yes, of course.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, okay. My n- number five film was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get to watch this?
1: I did watch it, yeah.
2: I haven't, unfortunately. Oh, I thought it was phenomenal. Story of uh, Fred Hampton... Obviously, prominent figure in the Black Panthers in the 70s. But it's almost more about the man who was tasked with being like, sent undercover to take him down. And um, despite agreeing with his politics somewhat or being neutral, it's heartbreaking. Really, really heartbreaking. But like so well done. Such a like, well-balanced film and shows you like, the side of um, revolutionary thinking without having to like go too deep into his ideology, if you know what I mean, like Fred Hampton's ideology. Because I think some people were a little annoyed that they didn't do more justice to Fred Hampton's ideology. But I I thought it did him a good service because uh, it showed him as more than just an ideology, showed him as a person, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a flawed person. And I just, I don't know, I thought it was, as biopics go, I thought it was fantastic. What did you think, Maria?
1: Uh, I have mixed feelings about this film. Because I think that they think they did some things really, really well. And then some things I kind of felt like I wanted more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really curious to dig in further to the Judas character. Yes. Because, sorry, Simon, I might spoil it here. But there's a very interesting footnote at the very, very, very end of the film. Ah, uh,
0: yes. Yeah. I know about this. I kind of know the, okay. the backstory. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: And... Um, that to me sort of indicated that he was much more uh, complicated, and he felt really terrible about what he had done. And I didn't feel like that showed enough in the in the film. I kind of wanted, but then the performance of Daniel Clue was so big, you know, so incredible that I almost feel like did they did they cut the film, you know, for that performance? Mm. I wonder.
2: That's interesting. Well, that was the main thing that it won awards for, so yeah, paid off. See, I always thought, um, oh, was it? Is it Licky Stanfield? Is that his name? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought his performance was incredible as well, and I think for some reason that the I do understand that critique. I didn't feel like it needed it, mostly because of his performance. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I thought his performance, it was like raw all over his face, that like conflict within him. But it would have been nice. I do understand. I think if they had another 15 minutes even just to explore that a bit more it would have made it that much better also incredible score as well Mm. gotta say that really incredible score but yeah that that's my number five (laughs) um my number four which i know i like more than both of you is uh Mm June. um so I'm just gonna before I let you guys tear it apart a bit, I'm just gonna pick it up. <laughs> I'm not gonna tear it apart that much. Okay, more than me. Yeah. <laughs> I understand it's a flawed film, but I have so some background. I've never um, watched or read anything related to June before. I have no idea about the story before this, but I am a massive Denis Villeneuve fan, and I just thought as a pure like audio visual experience in the cinema, this was like something I hadn't felt since, oh, probably the last Denis Move film, actually, <laughs> probably, probably since Blade Runner 2049 when I got out and I was like, wow, I feel like I've seen color for the first time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this was more like, especially on an audio level. I just thought like as a technical level, I just, I got so immersed into the world, a world I've never been inside before. And I mm. thought, um, considering it's such a dense world, I thought it did a really good job of delivering exposition um, and engrossing me into it. And the score by Hans Zimmer might be one of his best, I think. I'm in agreement
0: um, there. He's really, really gone to town on just yeah. throwing in so many different textures. Yeah. You know, particularly throat singing, which I'm a
2: huge <laughs> fan of. It does get to a point, though, where I couldn't tell when it was the sound design and when it was the score. I thought mm. that was such an incredible feat. And the story itself as well. I actually got really into it as like, uh, obviously it's hard to say as a half a, because it is definitely a half a story, but I got really into the idea of uh, manufacturing your own messiah. I thought that was mm-hmm. really interesting. And obviously the very clear theme of uh, imperialism, but on an intergalactic level, I thought was just really well done. Um, but it is not without... F- fault so mm-hmm. what did you both think of it
0: i'm gonna pick up from what you just said there about the manufacturing the messiah plot because that was always something that was lacking in the other adaptations for me right a lot gets lost in the david lynch version which was you know infamously cut down to 130 odd minutes even though it was meant to be four hours plus mm. you know so uh, a lot had to go on thus you know david lynch's disowned the film on certain cuts his name isn't on it alan smithy is on it instead and that's when you know it's a cursed movie really wow yeah (laughs) so uh yeah i think a a lot of the the juicier things from the world of june were actually included in there what i didn't like as much was the fact that like some of it wasn't as weird as stuff Mm -hmm. that is in the book in other adaptations, like, I don't know if this was something that David Lynch introduced into it, but uh, Duke Leto has a pug. Um, <laughs> and the pug makes an appearance in many different scenes. Uh, Patrick Stewart runs into battle with the pug at one point as well, <laughs> which is the bagpipe scene during the battle, and the, you know. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it's it's just like little things like that. I thought it was a bit duller than I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But I think playing it straight was quite a good move in terms of bringing it to a more commercial audience, which yeah. is ultimately what it needed to be at yeah. the end of the day. And it worked because
2: it's got a sequel now. So yeah, The gamble paid off. Yes. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I just want more big budget, like, artsy sci-fi movies, and I'm happy. <laughs>
0: you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> um, <yeah.
2: laughs> what about um, you,
0: Maria? You said something very damning about it last night
2: Mm, yes
1: (laughs) yeah but i do agree that as you know visually and the sound as well it's like incredible you know
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: but i did feel very bored because i just felt like timothy chalamet was a bit flat Mm. and he was telling me the story just like i was like i know what's gonna happen and i had never i didn't know anything about june my husband is a big fan and he really wanted to see it. But I was kind of like, oh, okay, I know what's happening. It just felt very obvious to me. And I thought it was going to be slightly more abstract. So I didn't enjoy it story wise.
0: That's fair. That is also my main complaint with Dune as a whole. And I've never particularly got invested in the story mm-hmm. in any adaptation. The only Dune okay. story I'm really interested in is the Alejandro Hodorowski one that they tried to do in the 1970s which on paper is so wild and so weird that it has to be good you know what i mean (laughs) it it has to be fun and interesting in some capacity and i don't think that the story that's been brought to any of these adaptations is a particularly fun one so yes i I completely understand that i feel like most of the exciting things in the story are happening outside of the story you know like the Mm -hmm. political intrigue about you know the spies infiltrating mm. Hurricane or whatever it's just,
2: it's just a bit of a shrug really See part of me did when I was watching it I wondered if that was the point was that they're all, very, they're all very stoic they all play it all very seriously and I wondered if that was sort of the point is that in this future of imperialism the elites at the top aren't, they aren't charismatic I wondered mm-hmm. if that was sort of a, like a point they was trying to make it did feel like that. It almost felt like they were like, right, we need a um, Jason Momoa in there just to like liven it up a little bit for people. <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> just like have a really cool dude yeah. in there just to make it watchable.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I can. So it's one of those weird films where I can understand and see all the critiques, and maybe on a rewatch they will bother me more. Mm-hmm. I just I got so sucked into it on my first watch. It could be the cinema thing though you know what Mm. i mean but yeah at least on a sound level for me in the cinema it was just uh, yeah totally sweeping yeah absolutely my number three was the green knight uh Ooh,
1: that's on my watch list
2: uh i loved it and i'd heard mixed things so i was very happy to love it (laughs) um again another one i can see people's critiques on it because the main character is sort of... Well, first I'll say what it's about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, adapted from the classic poem about Sir Garwin, who is travelling towards the Green Knight and basically towards his own death. And it's very... It's a classical tale through and through. And he's not so much a character, the main character, as he is an archetype of a character, which I think can be a turn-off for people because it, it does feel like doesn't feel like a modern film trying to say a modern message with a modern character and I think that can be a turn-off but for the first two-thirds especially I was like this is borderline perfect for me like every Mm -hmm. frame looked like a painting and and everything was still on theme it was slow and methodical and I loved it and dealt with themes like death and uh how to become an honorable knight very very well and I think a rewatch on this will either bump it up in my rankings or down, but I know it's not going to stay as is because I haven't really stopped thinking about it since because mm-hmm. the, the only thing I was tripping up on my first watch was the way it all ties together at the end. It does feel a little like quick, but I think maybe on a rewatch, knowing where it's heading to, maybe I'll appreciate that. Yeah, I loved it.
0: Have you, have you it read Simon? the poem?
2: No, never have. Another one, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect at all going into it.
0: I studied that for uni in my first year and I was kind of struggling to remember what actually happened in it. Like I remember the stuff about, you know, being quite anti-chivalric in a lot of ways and how, you know, if you're going to make a legend of yourself, if you're just going to go out there and die, is it even worth making that legend about yourself? Yes. If your legacy is going to be pointless death. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. all that was, like, kicking around in my head, and I got it from the movie. Yeah. Um, but there is a whole section towards the end of the poem where it's almost like a Scooby-Doo villain unmasking.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> I have heard this. I've heard yeah. it. It does that classic thing old poems do, where it basically then tells you the theme at the end. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's got, like, a nice... You know, they tie it up in a little green bow or whatever. Um, but... <laughs> It's just, yeah. So there's it. It ends on a nice note. It's almost yeah. like a punchline at the end of the film. Right. But for me, at least, I enjoyed it visually. I enjoyed a lot of the performances. Definitely mm-hmm. tell especially. Always good to see Barry Keoghan doing some nice work mm-hmm. uh, in a very small role. I just felt like, especially in the middle section of the film, which is the quest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That it just, it, everything felt like a deleted scene. Right. Because it didn't
2: have that sort of like connective tissue. There wasn't a connective tissue. No, exactly. Sure. But I didn't mind that. I wondered if it, it almost felt like a series of vignettes. And I wondered yes, if that was just that the exactly way the poem old is. poems were. Yeah. That sort of. Yes. Once I adapted to that in my head, I was kind of like, I'll take this as it is, but I can understand mm-hmm. why someone would trip up on that. Because at first I was just kind of like, oh, now he's in a house. What? You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's these giants and they're only going to be relevant for about 30
0: seconds. Exactly. Yeah. They could help him so much. But I think yeah. that's, you know, that's the, the Marvel yes. thing. Uh, yes. You know, like sort of super tight, always moving kind of thing that we've gotten used to nowadays and yeah. that's not great if you're going to make a movie that's literally you know f- the plot is like 700 years old <laughs> yeah yeah
2: of course yeah so i can understand so, someone tripping up on that totally like yeah
0: which i did admittedly and you know i probably you know i, I probably should have come more prepared into it but i
2: would watch it again absolutely mm. yeah i'm wondering if i will like it even more on a second watch cuz some of the moments from it have really stayed in my head. Like, the initial bit round, the round table is incredible. And yeah. I've listened to... Um, I was in for that. Uh, Lowry. Uh, what's his name, the director? David Lowry. David Lowry. That's it. Talk about it. And um, God, just the amount of thought that went into it. He was like... They they were filming the the wide shot of the table. And he was like, it's not quite wide enough. So, they painted. They painted it into the frame. Like, the... So it would be a load of shot. And I was like, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's like people in there on that round table that aren't people. They're just like painted in. And I was just like, just for such a little detail that's going to be there for like, what, all but 10 seconds? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you can tell it's proper good stuff. And the vision, Mm -hmm. there's a moment where it's not really a spoiler. He has a vision of his own death in like the first half. And the way it's done, I just absolutely adored it, and it's just going through all the seasons. Uh, do you remember the bit, Simon? Yeah, yeah, it's a rotating shot. Yeah, oh, it's just—you've
0: just ruined quite... this
1: entire film for me. I've seen <laughs> <that>. Oh no! <laughs> oh, now you
0: know that there's a 720
2: shot. You're not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely worth checking out. Even, it, but just—I think it's one of those ones you have got to go in a little bit prepared of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, My number two was Pig with the one and only Nicolas Cage. Uh, Who has my pig? (laughs) Who has my pig? Uh, Brilliant subversion of the revenge tale. Went in expecting a John Wick type movie about a man who's looking for his truffle pig and came out questioning what really matters in life. (laughs) Uh, Story about why do we set ourselves these benchmarks for success and monetary gain when they don't really mean anything? Uh, so it's like the Green Knight, yes, but a modern-day Green Knight, <laughs> yes, set with a in Gordon Ramsay we've world, with a bit of sprinkling of gentrification in there as well. Ooh, just like, a tad, just a tad. Like the, I don't know, Nick. I almost felt like Nick Cage's character, like, represented the city of Portland, you know. Mm-hmm disillusioned with what it's become and who he's become and sort of having this moment where he can turn away though whereas the city of portland can't and it's just beautiful i don't know i wasn't really expecting it to be quite so beautiful i went in expecting a revenge thriller, almost i was so happily surprised have you both seen it's it? very moving yeah I've i didn't
1: i didn't get to see it unfortunately No. oh no maria
2: well
0: i have i have the blue so you can have a lend of it next time i, I see you
1: nice one i'll be around um, tomorrow
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm out. Sorry. Um, (laughs) um, Oh, it's so good, though. Uh, Like, honestly, I think me and Jack did discuss this beforehand. I wanted to talk about a film in my top five. I think Pig was my number five, Mm. but I thought if Jack's is higher, I'll let him talk about it and then I'll sort of move it around. And then, because it's interchangeable, really. But yes, absolutely one of the films of the year. Cage. I mean, he does let himself loose a little bit. Yeah, there is a little bit of screaming, a little bit of shouting, but it's earned. It's you know pretty what I mean. He come for out. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like... I I was moved very very much by it. Yeah. And it made me quite hungry as well. <laughs> <clears throat>
2: but... uh, <laughs> no, no eating pigs. No, I was gonna say it's it, it like the. <laughs> I'm joking. You know what I mean. You know I what know I mean. What although, mean.
0: Yeah. Although eating ducks is, is a big part of it. So, yeah. Yes. Mr. Oh, Vegetarian over here. I know. A... <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll dock
2: a star off of it for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's now out of your top 10. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Sorry, Nick.
2: Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my number one film of the year, uh, which surprised me even more than Pig did, um, was Spencer. Um, nice oh the film about princess diana uh i have never had any interest in princess diana or the royal family ever in my life so this was insanely shocking to me how much i loved it i haven't actually seen pablo lorraine's other films so i didn't really know what to expect either i haven't seen jackie it's set during a few days uh, where diana is going to visit the royal family for a christmas dinner and uh it's like a haunted house it feels like Because she should not be in there (laughs) uh it feels so claustrophobic it got themes of having your identity erased and replaced by a new one and i'm not just saying this because we interviewed guy hendrix diaz but the production design is incredible there's like a whole this isn't really a spoiler but next to the house that she's staying in that the royal family are in is her old childhood home that is rotting And decaying right in front of her and it's so it may be on the nose but it's just such a great like looming threat that she's realizing that her own identity is being taken from her score by johnny greenwood is also probably the glue that holds this movie together it is truly scary it almost feels like a horror soundtrack
0: I've it's... listened to that before, well, so I haven't seen the film yet, but I've listened mm. to
2: the score already, and yeah, my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's intense. It's very, very intense. It raised my heart rate, let's say. Yeah, it and that paired with consistent close-ups of um, Kristen Stewart's face, it
0: re- <laughs> almost reminds me
2: of uh, Mother.
0: <laughs> I was going you know, to say, what... are you about to say Mother? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, but better. Um,
0: oh nice Yes,
2: yes tough,
0: tough to be much worse but yeah.
1: <laughs> I think there's a screening of Spencer in um, a cinema in Newcastle on like the 28th of December and I'm really hoping that the cinemas are still open because I'd like Ooh. to go
2: I think you'd love it Oh, it's just so, so good <laughs> <laughs> if it makes someone that's the like beauty of film is that it can make you care about something you have never cared about or never thought you <laughs> would care about like Diana Spencer.
0: Yeah, you said Christmas as well. Is mm-hmm. it a Christmas movie? Uh, in the oh, same way that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Well, I, I wouldn't want my
2: grandparents to watch it. <laughs> Would you want your grandparents to watch Die Hard? Probably. Oh, okay. Fair enough. They're royalists, <laughs> so it doesn't. I wouldn't oh, say okay, it's particularly. Right. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say it's completely damning of the royal family, but it's not nice (laughs) i'll put it this way it avoids making big statements on the queen at least i think that much but i think also go into this film watching it as a um as fiction like i did i didn't go in watching it as a biopic for diana otherwise you'll get too caught up on the facts because no one knows what actually happened when they're in there and it makes Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions obviously I think just as a story about a woman who's stuck in her own stuck in her in law's house. I think it's great, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's sounds top nightmarish. five. Nice. It's very, very nightmarish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, Jack. Very oh, still. No, top five. Well. Yeah, thank you very much. Well thought out. What about you, Maria?
1: I didn't I didn't think out like my top five as much as, as Jack did. So I don't really have like big statements to make about them. Fine, um, But I, I will mention five films that I found really, I, I hate saying like this is the best film of the year, but I guess five films that I really enjoyed that I like, kind of didn't expect it. So one is The White Tiger. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was on Netflix.
0: It's an Indian movie?
1: Yeah, by Ramin Baharani. And I thought it was a really great kind of, it was kind of fun, but also just a really enjoyable film. I thought. Then I think I have to mention Nomadland because I really love Chloe Zhao's work. And I know some people thought of Nomadland as like really self-indulgent, but I really enjoyed it. I found it incredibly moving. I don't know if anyone here had, uh, had an opinion on it. You never saw it?
2: No, I never got around to seeing it. I wanted to see our previous films first and I just haven't got around to it. Because I've heard a lot of good things about. Is it is it the Rider? Is that one of them? Yeah. Movies?
1: So I I felt actually that the Rider was better somehow. I yeah. think maybe because Me it too. didn't have a star actor, right? Um, sort of trying to like pull the focus of the story. But I did really like Nomadland. I liked that approach of filmmaking as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point though. I think that was my problem with Nomadland was the fact that it was you know. Chloe Zhao's traditional style of looking at a subject uh, and letting the people who it's about self-represent mm-hmm. you know so you know all the eponymous nomads in the nomad land are uh, you know in the film playing themselves or you know slightly fictionalised versions of themselves yeah. that's completely the rider I'd say it's about half mm-hmm. of nomad land and I <sighs> I enjoyed that half of it. The Frances McDormand on her own I enjoyed less, but I don't know. I thought it was pretty solid on the whole. Um I was fairly pleased that it won best picture. <laughs> you know, it's quite nice to sort of shine a spotlight on that um mm-hmm. on that side of things. So yeah, I'm I'm glad you got a lot out of it though.
1: Yeah, I did, I did. Um the next film on my list that I really enjoyed is censored by Prano Bailey Bond. I don't know if anybody's had the chance to see it. Unfortunately, I've only seen it on the small screen. I have not seen it in the cinema. I kind of want to mm-hmm. re-watch it in the cinema because the, the, it was a very intense ending. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen it?
0: Yes, I have. I have not, unfortunately.
2: Still, I saw it advertised. I Is that the one, there's lots of VHSs and stuff like that? It's about yes, like, the I video do- nasties or something? Yeah, so that's that's
1: the main inspiration for it. And I thought it was a really, really strong horror film. It really knew what it was. Uh, It didn't try to be anything else other than true to itself. So I really enjoyed that because I I really appreciate filmmakers who just try to do their own thing to hell with whether or not it's sort of commercial or like loads of people are going to like it. And I think she just really tried to just stay true to what she's done in her short films and bring that to her feature film, which I really appreciated.
0: I need to see her shorts, actually. I haven't delved into the back catalog yet, but I really should.
1: Then a film that I did see on the big screen, thankfully, at London Film Festival, uh, The Power of the Dog by Jane Campion. Very nice.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: I think it's on Netflix at the moment, but if you can watch it in the cinema... I highly recommend that. What did you guys think?
0: Um, I don't
2: think Jack's seen it yet. Have you? I haven't had a chance. I wanted to watch it so desperately before this podcast, but (laughs) you know what December's like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Particularly your December. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have seen it. Um, I enjoyed it very much. It was not the film that I thought it was uh, at all. Until well, sorry, I mean, after the last two minutes, that completely re made me reevaluate what the film was about mm-hmm. and for so long, it convinces you that it's a a psychological thriller b a psychosexual drama, and then it turns out to be something else entirely, and it slaps you in the face very subtly indeed, and I thought it was a A masterclass of misdirection.
1: Yes. And that's what I really loved about it. I thought, well, first I thought I was going to go and watch like a Western. Mm -hmm. And I met a writer uh, in the queue as we were lining up. Uh, He was like, oh, you know, I, I really love Westerns. And then afterwards he was disappointed. He was like, that's not a Western. (laughs) <laughs> and all this time you're trying to understand where the story is going and you kind of think like you figured out who the main character is here and who is pulling the strings and and like Simon said until the very last moment of the film when you realise oh okay it's, it's really brilliant storytelling and actually I'm not a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch but I really enjoyed his performance in this Yeah, it I,
0: fantastic. it's the best I've seen from him absolute best
1: yeah I don't, I don't think I've ever seen such a strong performance from him. It was, he really was fantastic, really compelling.
2: Is the score by Johnny Greenwood as well? Yes. That's Another right, Johnny so. Greenwood uh, score, because he did Spencer yeah. as well. Yeah, this one's a
0: lot more like there will be blood than Spencer mm. is. Right. That's not a bad
2: thing. Yeah, no, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no.
0: It's really good, Jack. I think you'll, uh, you'll get a lot out of it.
2: Really? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. excited. And got I didn't get
0: to watch it before today, but oh. hey, it's not the end of the year officially yet. So not the end of the year officially. The... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's part two of this podcast coming up in the... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two and a half hours on the power of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, then the last film I want to talk about is one that has screened in the UK at the London Film Festival. I really hope it gets some kind of distribution. And it is called Clara Sola. And it is by a filmmaker called Natalie Alvarez Mezen. And I am prepared to declare her the future of cinema. I'm sorry. Wow. I, I really liked uh, Celine Sciamma's Petite Maman, And I was, you know, I really like her work. But I thought that this for a debut feature, Clara Sola, was so impressive. That it's really hard to see such a good debut feature film. It's set in Costa Rica and it's about a disabled... Woman who is kind of infantilized by her, you know, her, her family. They treat her like a child. She has no autonomy, not over her life or her, her body or any of her choices. They're all restricted by a very domineering and religious mother. But then um, a young man arrives on the, so the, the farm and she falls in love with him. So it's, she has like this awakening. But she's not allowed, she's not seen as somebody who's allowed to have desires. She's not seen as a human being. Like, just, It's incredible. It's magical. It's such an incredible performance, beautifully written, really well observed. Honestly, like, and I think it's been put forward for the Academy Award nomination by Costa Rica. So I, if you can find it somewhere, <laughs> please watch it. Honestly, like this filmmaker, and I know what film she's going to make next and it's going to be even better. Wow. Which is,
0: Do you know what that is? Really Are nice. you allowed to say?
1: I don't think I'm allowed to say.
0: Oh. oh but man.
1: I just know what it is <laughs> yeah, because so um, I also know that Natalie is a very lovely person and so is her producer, <laughs> Nima. I just think that this is somebody that you know, I think people should start paying attention and tracking her work because she really, really mm. was an incredible film. I watched it at Torino And uh, so many people stayed behind for the Q and A because they were so interested in in hearing what she had to say about the film. Um, That was a good sign. Yeah. So um, yes, I know neither of you have seen this film, but I really wanted to talk about it so that everybody Mm. everybody knows that I told them first about this film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's on the record.
1: Yes. So that's the film that really kind of I think was, was definitely like the highlight the one of the films that I discovered this year that I really loved.
0: Yeah, Fantastic. we like to find those hidden gems, don't we? Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I'll start with my top few, I guess.
1: Not... You sound really excited. Well no, I was words. just about to
0: say though, like that it is a I told you first that it was good, but also <laughs> it's not a hidden gem. And it's the Matrix Resurrections. Oh okay, come oh, on. guys okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't actually know how much I can say, like in terms of spoilers or whether my opinion of it has really settled down yet, because it's so unbelievably, almost headache inducingly complex um, that I, just totally overwhelming experience, really, guys. Uh, what I will say, Jack, is that me and you were talking about potential theories, mm-hmm. um, and you outlined one, and I said, that sounds like it could be true. If it is true, I'm going to hunt you down to the ends of the earth because that's a spoiler. Oh, no. And I would like to tell you, Jack, that you are partially right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Only partially. Partially right. right. So, so are you going to hunt me? or? <laughs> uh, Maybe. Oh, <laughs> Let's just leave that one hanging for a little while. All right. But, I'll, uh, I'll find know, out, I, I guess. I got over the shock pretty quickly, let's say, but um, yeah, I think in a a cinematic landscape, obviously people are talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, very rightfully being a very fun and satisfying movie. I think Matrix of Resurrections is similar, but also in a way that's much more constructive and, I don't know, maybe even enjoyable. I was just interested in everything that it had to say and if, you know, you're interested in The Matrix as a, a queer franchise now, this is the defining uh, statement on that. It completely wears its heart on its sleeve, and a lot of it does read like a Twitter timeline at times. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing either. <laughs> that can I be know, taken thought...
2: in two ways, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's It's very much earnest and very, very sincere, and i was moved and also quite excited by it so i would like to watch it again sometime soon um but i just wanted to put that one in there because i thought it could break into the top five i don't think it has but i just wanted to say it's a very good movie you heard it here first guys (laughs) now actually onto the proper top five instead of just the honorable mentions at number five um probably one of the most divisive films of the year It is Malignant by Mm. James Wan.
1: Not seen it.
0: Oh, I have twice. Twice? Yes, lad. Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It is a deeply and beautifully stupid movie um, (laughs) about a woman who begins to experience visions of a serial killer uh, where she's in the room with this kind of Looks like a back and vocalist of Slipknot or Lodi or something. Um, you know, <laughs> just going around uh, killing people in, in Seattle. And that's all I can really say because it is at once um, a f- absolutely fantastic asylum movie, a ghost story, a haunted house movie, a body horror, and a fantastic action movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure which of those genres that I think works best because it is just like so completely maximalist uh, in, in every regard. Of course, there is a twist. It is one of the best twists I've ever seen in my life because everything that you need is there. It's just you don't think that the film is going to be so dumb in order to actually go for it. And then it does. And then it's a proper aha moment. <laughs> and yeah, I I'm thought looking it was it.
2: the best. Yeah, it, I, it I is really a blast. hope you enjoy it, Maria. It is an yeah. absolute blast. Like, I somehow did, well, semi-guess the twist. I mm-hmm. guessed the twist about halfway through. And I was like, well, that would be obscene if that was the actual twist. And then, <laughs> and then it was. And I was like, oh, my God. They've only really gone and done it the... James Wan, the madman. <laughs> yeah. And that
0: Shyamalan was pronounced dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I only so, wish yeah.
2: the last 20 minutes was almost just half the film. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I wish But it would have been tw- too much. Oh, I don't
0: know. I, I, I showed it to my it's a, friends. It's a smogers board of different textures and yes. flavors of, of horror, and I, I love it for that.
2: I'll I say it. I showed it to my friends the other day, and about halfway through, they're all kind of looking at me like, "Come on, what is this? Like, this is just like every horror movie we've ever seen." And uh, and I was we've like, no, "Never just seen it pitched so high." I was like, "Just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait." And then the last twenty minutes, <laughs> they, it it was just howls of laughter, in a great way, in a good way. Yeah, you're laughing it's... with the film. Yes, yes, yeah. Because it knows how mm. ridiculous it is. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's a masterpiece a of fan. tonal control, I think. Yes, yeah. Uh, the the I will say my only <laughs> my biggest critique is that remix of the Pixie
0: song. <laughs> Where is my mind?
2: Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. That's just great though, because it it underscores all of the most hilarious uh, developments in the movie, and again, just brings it up to that level of just pure absurdity. So yeah awesome awesome good time at the moving picture show if you ask me (laughs) um also i should say as well it it kind of confirms that warner brothers have had a very good year um which i didn't think that they would have considering the whole hbo max controversy where they were going to release things on the same day uh on the on the streaming platform as well as in cinemas so you know you think of what they've released the suicide squad dune the matrix resurrections malignant you know there are others but um oh mortal Kombat as well who could forget mortal Kombat? (laughs) um but i think you know everything works in in the same way i think they've been they've straddled that line between making very good films very cinematic that sort of translate to the small screen as well as on the big screen and that's no mean feat so i think yeah warner brothers have kind of come out on top as the big studio for me this year like i know that marvel have completely saturated the market with you mm-hmm. know all the different canon tv shows and all that but i think warner brothers have done something quite quite special really um my number four uh, also one of the most divisive films of the year annette by leos carax written by sparks so russell and ron Mail, uh, the story well sorry the very musical story of a stand-up comedian almost a la burnham but kind of more nihilistic and evil um (laughs) and uh, an opera singer uh, played by marion Cotillard. i should say that the comedians played by adam driver as well Um, and they have a baby with a very special ability uh that's kind of the log line of the film that i can't really say more around it because it's more of how the story unfolds that you know the really hilarious parts of it and the more tragic parts start to develop um it is a rock opera as well so a lot bizarre of it, it is mental <laughs> it is i mean this is a mental top five How did i mean we I haven't not even got to the most mental this? yet sorry
1: i haven't heard about this film where did it where have you was not? I?
0: <laughs> oh well I've have you got a movie
1: yeah no i have i don't have a movie
0: Oh, well, it's, it's on movie right now, so it's probably worth yeah. getting the subscription just to watch it, to be
1: honest. <laughs> on paper,
2: that does sound bonkers. A movie written by Sparks with Adam Driver yeah. about a baby with a special ability. And Adam and it's Driver a rock is opera. a comedian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I don't buy it, I'm sorry. no.
0: <laughs> but he, he's, he's barely a comedian, and that's the point. Yeah. He just basically goes on stage, and he's just like, so I'm here to make you laugh tonight, but I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't make you laugh <laughs> and then there's like you know backing singers and all that while he's just sort of like depressedly moping around the stage
1: okay maybe that's <laughs> excellent casting then
0: yeah <laughs> yeah he's very dry he's very dry also uh confirms Adam Driver's premium scumbag year alongside the also excellent last duel so uh he hasn't really played many redeeming characters this year but um actually I haven't seen House of Gucci yet so he might actually be okay in that. I don't know. I don't really know the story. But uh, yeah, just Adam Driver had a fantastic year. Also, Annette would make a great double bill with Edgar Wright's documentary about Sparks, the Sparks Brothers. So um, if you're a little baffled by Annette, maybe go and watch the Sparks Brothers and then you'll sort of understand the tone of their work or at least what they've tried to do with Annette, which is a lot different to what they ordinarily did over the last 50 five years or so uh <laughs> and they're still going good for those guys they seem nice um speaking of Bob burnham as well at number three we have inside um i'm hesitating to call this one a film since it was billed and marketed as a comedy special but let's be honest it is a film
2: right especially the second half
0: yeah where there is almost no comedy,
2: yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> just
0: just psychological sadness. breakdowns, yeah, left, right, and center, yeah. Is it have you to seen admit- this one, Maria?
1: I have not. It's on my list. I've just never got round to to seeing it. Yeah, I kind of because so many people told me that it is a bit strange. I kind of felt like I needed to go in the sort of the right frame of mind, mm-hmm. and I, I I haven't found that frame of mind this year. I just feel like yeah, so. I'm constantly in a Bo Burnham frame of mind. A, a Christmas movie for me. I feel like that, that'll that be good. It's quite
2: a sad one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, actually, it's great if we go back into lockdown. Yeah. True, true. I'm so you can line the that up.
1: Yeah, I'm just waiting for the <laughs> announcement, and then I'll be like, I'm going to watch Bo Burnham.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend watching some of his stand-up comedy as well, because like, you see you know, his, his style evolve from you know, being quite self-aware to being very open about his own mental health and, you know, through the guise of artificial comedy. And then this is uh, basically his... It is a lockdown project, but it's a film about bad lockdown projects. Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's about, you know, the ways that we try to self-actualize and just scream into the void of the internet Mm. and... Just having that as like this big echo chamber of nothingness. That mm. uh, was really cheerful. Y- yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> but like, it is. It's it is. About... It's very upbeat in in a lot of ways. At least you know the the tempo is upbeat.
1: Is it on the same level as Adam Driver doing stand up?
0: It's not as bleak as that. Okay. Yeah, yeah but it's similar. <laughs> very say,
2: similar, actually. Yeah. It's like about if you become too self aware. of <laughs> That film it's like yeah so self aware he's self aware that he is self aware you know what i mean it's like it's there's uh, a great it's... bit where he reacts to his reaction yeah, video that was actually my favorite bit of the whole yeah, thing yeah and
0: it just becomes this interlocking series of reaction videos within a reaction video uh which is hilarious um yeah. but also very grim and disturbing but you know the fact that he made it by himself as well mm. is, is an amazing feat you know i i mean he's i yeah, i imagine he's a a wealthy fellow so he was able to afford all of the equipment and you know sort of uh self moving dollies and whatnot um but you know a pretty good effort all in all that that's not the work of a man without talent it's the work of a man with
2: a considerable amount of talent it's like
0: a and, masterclass uh, in how know.
2: to uh light your own stuff i think
0: yeah exactly <laughs>
2: It shows you how he does it even a lot of the time. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty meta. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Back to actual movies, though. Uh, number two. I saw this as part of the London Film Festival's you know, country-wide uh, screening programme. Uh, Teton by Julia DeCorno. Um,
1: oh, that's on my to-watch list. Yeah. I,
0: I really hope you enjoy it, guys. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Academy Awards clearly haven't. I mean, the discourse Ooh. on Twitter in the last couple of days has been that people are shocked that this weird car fetish movie didn't get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> and I'm like, ha, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it is absolutely insane. Um, I, I can't really tell you what it's about. I, basically, what I'd say is watch the Sorry, read the log line, which I think off the top of my head it's something like, A father reconnects with his son who's been missing for 10 years, right? So that's the log line. You go off and you watch the trailer for the movie and you're like, Sorry, that is not what the movie's about. But it's neither and it's both mm. in, this, in the same way. So Interesting. it's, it's a very, yeah. It, the way that it evolves into being both the movie that is in the trailer and the movie that is in the log line is fascinating. And um, it's incredibly disgusting and beautiful and sincere, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a hell of a movie. Like there are a number of scenes in it which could qualify as the scene of the year. Uh, wow. You know what I mean? Wow.
1: Well, raw was absolutely incredible.
0: It's incredible. Yeah. Raw was amazing. This capitalizes on everything that was in that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, at least twice i'm over, here for so. it i'm yeah, yeah I'm really same. looking forward to that enjoy yeah. it guys now that was my film of the year for about a few days uh and then <laughs> and then i went to go and see something else in the london film festivals touring program and it was memoria by Apichatpong pong the cool oh, wow. starring tilda swinton as a scottish woman living in columbia she's an orchid farmer But then she begins to hear noises. um, Is this film
1: like 10 hours long?
0: No, no. (laughs) Come on, do you think it would be my number one if it was 10 hours long? (laughs) (laughs) It is longish. I think it's like 135 minutes, something like that. But my point is, is that your perception of time when you're watching this film is completely skewed. You know, I felt like I've been in there for about ninety minutes, because some of the, the the perceptions of how time is unfolding in these, you know, in unbearably long shots, occasionally, but then the film snaps you awake again. I think you know a lot of Abba Pang where's the girls movies are designed to kind of put you to sleep a little bit. I mean, to, <laughs> and I don't mean that as a criticism. It's genuinely true, like. I think Cemetery of Splendour is about um, sleep paralysis. No, not not sleep paralysis. Um, I, I can't remember the term, but it's about a bunch of soldiers in this hospital and they basically can't wake up. And the film is designed to induce that kind of relaxed sleepiness in you. And mm. Memoria is that too. But just like the main character keeps getting snapped back into reality by these noises you kind of get in her mindset and begin to listen to the world differently now i know we were talking about dune and having like absolutely phenomenal sound design you know mm-hmm. in, in, instrumentally at least it's it's incredible but the soundscape of memoria is just absolutely stunning you know i mean a lot of it takes place in the colombian countryside so there's always stuff going on trickling water birds and trees you know, the wind blowing across the grass. But then there are some more unexpected sounds and sounds of silence later on in the film as well, which just attune you to the image as well and and the subtleties going on there, particularly in Tilda Swinton's performance, which is incredible, Mm. Um, as always. I think it's one of her most subtle performances, one of her least showy ones, which, you know, she's an incredibly showy actress as well, but that's not a bad thing. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I just was completely washed away by it, I think. That, that, that's, the, that's the word I would use. I kind of had to peel myself out of my chair after watching it because I just felt like like I'd sort of sunk into the cinema a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I don't know if it's getting a uh, digital release or a physical release I don't release think it is. All. Yeah, this no? is the weird what? thing. So I think it might or at least this is the case in America, it's doing this continuing roadshow where it's going around the country, one theatre at a time, so it will theoretically always have a cinema run, because it's, you know, however many cinemas there are in America, however many people want to screen it, it'll go on for years. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like a travelling art exhibition, Um, but I would recommend seeing it on a massive screen with a fantastic sound system. Uh, I saw it in the Roxy at the Tyneside Cinema, which is a lovely screening, very cosy, and, yeah, just a a wonderful experience. I know a lot of the films that I've talked about so far have been... In fact, you know, four out of the top five have been, like, completely insane, but this is just... I don't know, kind of rewires your brain in a very subtle way, and I'd love to see it again. Wow. So that's my favourite film of the year, I think. Maybe in
2: two or three years it will eventually come back to Manchester and I'll <laughs> I'll inevitably be booked up that night so I won't be able to see it. <laughs> yeah, and then it'll be in
0: Bournemouth like in yeah. February and you're like, no! Yeah. It? <laughs> For context, Jack is moving to Manchester, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> what are we looking forward to next year? Um, this doesn't have to be cinematically. It could just be stuff that you've got lined up, stuff that you want to do, little targets, little New Year's resolutions. What are you looking forward to next year?
1: Probably working on a film set without wearing a face mask.
2: Oh, ambitious. Amazing. I love that it.
1: Sounds, that just sounds so liberating. <laughs> mm. <laughs> now, I'm looking forward to a documentary called A Thousand Fires by one of the people I collaborate with called Saeed Faruki. Uh, it won at Locarno and it's screened at IDFA. He will not send me a digital copy because he insisted it has to be seen on the big screen, people.
0: <laughs> um, Him and were a are like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: um, so that is one thing that I'm really looking forward to, along with Spencer and T-Town, however you pronounce that. I can never pronounce Town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm also going to seek out a film called Small Body, by a filmmaker called Laura Sarani, and it's an Italian film about a mother who uh, takes the body of her stillborn baby on a journey in search of a wish, of a witch rather, after she's told that her, her stillborn baby can't be baptized. She wants to find a witch who can bring it back to life for one breath so it can be baptized. Oh, um,
0: goodness, gosh!
1: And it looks like it's just an incredible. I've I've seen the trailer and some other footage, but i just. It looks like an incredible film, and I'm, I've heard that it has got a sales agent or distributor in the UK. So that's one thing mm. I'm keeping an eye out for. Um, it sounds I,
0: very moving.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and by all accounts, another really strong, uh, interesting filmmaker coming from uh, from Italy. So. That's one thing that I'm desperate to, to seek out.
2: Amazing. What about you, Jack? Well, next year, moving to Manchester, beginning of the year. That's exciting hey. stuff. Woohoo. Looking forward to hopefully making the first short film with Simon here. Should Hi. be fun. Woohoo. Um, woo-hoo. Um, there's also a lot of films coming out potentially next year. First and foremost, one that's already been out in certain parts of America for a little while uh, Licorice Pizza. Uh, oh yes, of course. Paul yes. Thomas Anderson, my favourite. I've seen it's getting a lot of love, uh, and it's stirring up some controversy as well. So it should be interesting. <laughs> um, but other than that, the trailer just got released for The Northman. Uh, oh Robert yeah, Huggers.
0: I forgot about that. How did I forget about The Northman?
2: I know, and <laughs> I I could not be more excited. To be honest, I don't know. It looks like everything robert eggers has done before in terms of like style in terms of period you know what i mean and the grit but he's taken it and it's huge it looks huge Big larger than anything he's done before whereas everything he's done before has been quite contained and claustrophobic it now looks like it's a journey the epic yes yeah. and if there's anyone who deserves that money to be able to make that i think it's him to be honest at the moment he's just incredible That and one last thing I'll say for nostalgia's sake, Jackass Forever is coming out next year. And (laughs) I, for one, am so excited to be able to see a Jackass movie in the cinema. (laughs) I think I am gutted I was too young to see them the first time they came around. Of course, yeah, gosh, it's been like a a
0: decade since
2: we had a Jackass movie. Yeah, I've never seen any in the cinema, and I think it will be spiritual.
0: You're going to, not only because of the amount of spirits that you will consume
2: before the screening. <laughs> exactly. And chuck it all up in the middle of it. Lovely. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also some rumours, rumours of the new Ariasta film, which sounds interesting. A four is this hour, Disappointment Boulevard? Yeah. A uh, four-hour nightmare comedy, he has described as. I don't know if I'm yeah. excited for that, but I'm definitely intrigued. Uh and apparently mm. Quentin Tarantino's final film is rumored to be coming out next year. I is it? A rumor, a rumor. A rumor, a rumor. Ooh. That
1: that's one film I will be missing because I do not like Quentin and that's a whole other podcast.
2: That's a whole <laughs> other podcast. Worth of it's okay. We can
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we should wrap up soon, but uh <laughs> No, we will discuss why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very good uh, at a later date. <laughs> 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 Thanks for head Not true. Yeah. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> I am hesitating to say that I'm looking forward to the unbearable weight of massive talent uh, because I've been burned by my Nicolas Cage hype this year, <laughs> at least. Um, The Mm -hmm. one I was least hyped for, Pig, turned out to be the best. So, you know, maybe my whole sort of like worldview of Nicolas Cage is just a bit uh, skewy, really. So um, I'm also looking forward to, uh, because I've seen this trailer a couple of times at the uh, multiplexes recently, Moonfall, uh, Mm. Roland Emmerich's new disaster movie about the moon attacking planet Earth. (laughs) Yeah, it looks so stupid i love Um, that. speaking of stupid aquaman the lost kingdom is coming out as well love that james wan back in the director's chair coasting off malignant here i'm sure he's going to do something absolutely insane as well um i think there's going to be a lot of hellraiser content as well i know that david Bruckner is uh, helming a reboot starring jamie clayton uh, from sense eight Uh, a trans actress playing Pinhead, so that is some incredibly interesting casting. And also, Nope by Jordan Peele, which we know nothing about other than it's got Daniel Kaluuya, Stephen Yoon in it. Um, It's entirely shot with IMAX cameras and it might be about an evil cloud. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. That's all I'm getting from the poster. But it looks quite Spielbergian. Oh, guess, interesting! But it'd probably be you know subvert all of our expectations like he does, yeah, all consistently all the time. I love that. Is it guy. meant to be horror or is it not really? No idea, mate. Absolutely mm. no idea. Uh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's just called nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope. Fantastic. Yeah.
1: Um. Is there anything else that you'd like to say,
0: guys, uh, before we wrap up?
1: Uh, no, other than thank you for a year of podcasts. It's been great fun doing that. Yeah, thanks
2: for mm, facilitating this absolutely. as well. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah,
2: let's do another year of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> let's keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> if you, the listener, would like to hear us talk about anything, throw a suggestion in our way, then you can email us at hello at above the line film.co.uk. Or you can drop us a message on social media. We are at above the line underscore CB on Twitter. And on Instagram, we are at above the line dot CB. Other than that, keep listening to us on all your good podcasting platforms. And have a very Merry Christmas and a lovely New Year as well. Thank you very much. Night, night.
1: Night. Bye.